Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moisel, and these are the women who rule. Hi, and welcome back to She Dynasty. Today I'm talking to Nikki Levy, the founder and CEO of Alchemy 43. Alchemy 43 is an aesthetics bar that specializes in micro treatments. And if you don't know what that is, it is injectables. Um, And they put it so interestingly on their website. And I quote, we fundamentally believe that no matter what your lifestyle, carting kids around, ruling the dance floor, commanding the boardroom, or anything in between, everyone deserves to look and feel their best. And I totally agree with that. So I'm super excited to talk to Nikki and she will be here in a few minutes. All right, so before we get started, I'm actually sitting with uh, Caroline Morton, who is a junior copywriter at my agency, and she helps um, write the interviews. She does an incredible job. And I thought it was important for her to be a part of uh, today's interview, just because um, there was a lot of really awesome discussion in our office about this subject when we talk about um, injectables and what it means to different generations. And so Caroline's quite a bit younger than me, and so she sees it through kind of a different lens than I do. And so I wanted to chat with her about it. So hi, Caroline. Hi, how's it going? Good. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So tell me, um, what is interesting to you about this subject matter? Well, I've actually, this is perfect because I've just recently been getting a lot into skincare. And I think it's honestly like the nerdy aspect of it and the way the different ingredients work and how they affect your skin because you really don't realize how just a small tweak can affect so much. Right. I'm really curious about, you know, that that we obviously have different perspectives because I'm in, you know, my 40s and you're much younger than me. And, you know, there's a lot of younger women that are starting to do injectables. And so, you know, for me, I'm starting to see all these like fine lines around my face and my eyes. And so I'm like, okay, I have nothing to lose. I'm trying to go backwards. But for so many people your age, it's preventative. And so in a a way, you're a little bit like guinea pigs. You you don't really know what the future holds. But and we're going to talk to Nikki about that today. But um, tell me what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's interesting because we're seeing that you can age really well and you can age really poorly. And so now that we're starting to see that the way you treat your skin really does have an impact, I think it's starting to be a lot more important to us. Right. And do you um, are a lot of your friends your age starting to do inject injectables? Yeah, I think especially living in LA, there's so much of it. I know. We're, it's kind of the uh, the mecca, right? It's the yeah. uh, kind of the the capital of injectables. <laughs> so we kind of set the bar here for the rest of the world. So we'll talk to Nikki about sure. that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of my friends are starting to not only get into, okay, what do I put on my face, but also what do I put in my face in terms of injectables and how can that impact my aging? Absolutely. All right. Well, Nikki is uh, going to be here in a few minutes. So uh, we'll learn from her um, everything we need to know. Yeah, I'm awesome. excited to talk to her. Yep. Hi, 
Hi, Nikki. Hi there. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you. Excited to be here. You know, this is a subject that I spent a lot of time talking about with my friends. It's Mm -hmm. probably because of my age. (laughs) You know, I constantly get phone calls of um, people asking for um, recommendations of who to go to, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, Mm -hmm. how it looked. And, you know, there's there's so much to, like, learn and know. And what I love about what you're doing is you are taking an industry that's a little bit, not scary, but just, like, hard to kind of digest mm-hmm. and making it really accessible to everyone in a way that's super approachable, super friendly, and super awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, the intent. Yeah. So I want to hear all about Alchemy 43. So before we get started, a little bit about you. You're sure. born and raised where? Um, I was born in South Africa originally, but moved to the States as a baby and grew up in Orange County, about an hour south of LA. So Awesome. And then been here since right after college. So and where did you go to college? UC Davis in Northern California. And your major? Communications. Of course. <laughs> definitely a pattern I see uh, across a lot of women who start their own businesses. So yep. definitely love to hear that. What was your first job out of college? So I actually started working. I've always worked um, and actually got into the world of cosmetics and skincare in college. So um, my first job while I was in college making extra money was working in the coffee house on campus. And then I wanted to do something that was a little more kind of aligned with interests that I had. And so my, I think it was my second year of college, I started, I got a part-time job at the benefit counter at Macy's in Uh Sacramento. Uh And that was really where I got my start and kind of started to fall in love with the idea of sort of empowering women and people to feel confident and to kind of take care of themselves in this way. I love how sometimes those types of jobs lay the foundation for your future. So super awesome. And Benefit is an awesome company. It was great. And honestly, I never could have predicted. It was just something that I had a passion for as a kid. You know, I was always that girl in high school who did my friend's makeup and, you know, like, you know, just loved beauty products always. And so for me, it was really never, my intent was never that it would be my career. I always thought I would have to go be serious and sit behind a desk somewhere. And, you know, something as fun as cosmetics and beauty was too frivolous for a college graduate or something. I had this weird perception. And as soon as I started doing it and really fell in love with it, I, I realized that you actually could make a really you know, amazing career out of doing something you actually love. Right. And did you always have an entrepreneurial spirit? Was that something that you saw in yourself as a child? I think I always had it in me. I'm the oldest child in my family in terms of my immediate family and my extended family. So I was the first baby. I think I've always been a leader in that way. And I think when when you kind of have that that sort of experience, and it's not obviously the case always, but I do think that that points you in a direction of like knowing how to be the boss and knowing how to be in charge. And for me, that was something I came to fairly easily and um, it felt really natural. And then, so I always had business ideas and I definitely have always had that entrepreneurial spirit. I never knew what it would actually kind of amount to or where it would end up. Um, but the big part for me was that other people saw that in me really early. So, every, so important. Yeah, like every job that I had as a youngster and like out of college, even like people were like, we want to try this and we think you're the one to like try this for us. And I, I just piloted a lot of things and a lot of things were like, you know, we have this idea and we think you're the one to get it done. So I think people saw that grit and determination in me too. And yeah. I think that's a really good uh, point for those who are listening. If, if you're, you know, kind of starting out in your career and you see that people are, are coming to you to kind of lead ideas and take yep. charge, um, it's probably because you're exuding something mm-hmm. that is um, kind of a glimpse into your future. So something really to think about. For sure. And also I think curiosity, right? Like for me, it was like never, I was never, I don't want to say satisfied, but I was never like 
I was always looking at different ways to do things. So like even in non-business settings, it would be like, you know, gosh, I waited in line forever to get that frozen yogurt. If they just set the line up this way or if they just set it up this way, you know, couldn't that be easier? And so that's just all the time. I walk into pizza places and they'll like say we're out of pizza and I'll be like, wait, isn't your job to have pizza? Like who runs this place? 100%. I totally am with you there. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a bit about Alchemy 43. So what sets your company apart from the rest of the industry? Um, well, hopefully a lot of things, but I think that the idea behind it was something that you you talked about earlier when you were talking with Carolyn, which was really just about this idea of taking these treatments and services and demystifying them and creating less of a you know, big bad wolf kind of like, what are these, you know, things we're putting into our body and really just answering the questions and giving people the information they need to make informed and empowered decisions about their their care and about their about whether or not they want to embark down this road or not. Yeah, and I think you guys are doing a nice job. I went onto your Instagram feed and on your website, and you're just kind of simplifying it in a way that's really kind of digestible and easy to understand. Yeah. And there are a lot of myths out there, and we'll talk about those in a minute. So why the name Alchemy 43? Great question. This is one of my favorite questions. So basically, um, I wanted to call it something else. I had another name set aside and ready to go. And I had signed the lease for our first store. And we were starting to build out the website and everything. And I found out from the trademark attorneys that we could not use that name. And it was kind of shocking to me because I'd built the whole concept. Or, you know, just uh, this name had become I hate the when name. that happens. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely a moment where I was like, oh, gosh, what else am I going to call it? And I had all these people helping me. I had branding people helping me, friends, family, colleagues, investors. And we had a list of probably 100 names, and nothing was sticking. Like, I just didn't feel, you know, I wondered if it was because I was too attached to the other name. But I was like, I have to figure out a name. We're we're starting to make signage and build out the website. Like, we need a name. So I got home from um, dinner with friends one night, and I logged into Facebook, and someone had quoted The Alchemist, the book. And I was like, alchemy, alchemy, alchemy. And I just it sort of just struck a chord with me, and I typed into my Google browser, what is the definition of alchemy? And two definitions came up. The first one was a seemingly magical process of combination, creation, and transformation, which Love I was it. like, yes. I got goosebumps. I still get him when I talk about this. Um, the second definition was the study of chemistry that predated the periodic table that was concerned with changing base metals into gold. Wow. And so I was like, ooh, something about that sort of like evolution and that just, it just really rung true with me. And I was like, that's it. That's the name. And I was really, you know, kind of from that point, I was like, that's it. So, and then the 43, I was talking to one of my early investors and advisor of mine, and um, she was she was kind of noting how brands like Refinery29, there's a cool like cachet around a number. And she asked me if there were any numbers that were meaningful to me. And I was like, well, I don't really know. Like 17 is my lucky number. Is that a number? You know, we, we were discussing other kind of numbers that could be relevant. And she typed into her phone, how many muscles are in the face? Ooh. And it was 43. And so we decided on Alchemy 43 because oh. there's 43 facial muscles. That's such an interesting backstory. Yeah. Thank that. you. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people are like, is that an age? Like, what is the 43, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cool. So you mentioned in your pre-interview that you have um, early memories of watching your mom put on makeup. Yep. Was that kind of like a, a spark in the beginning of just kind of your love for the world of skincare. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely contributed to it. I think, you know, it's interesting when I'm around little kids now and I see an early sort of like interest in something. And I think that that's how it was for me. It was just, so it was something that I was like, I had an affinity for and it was something in my personality that just loved that. And I think what I what I remember about my mom getting ready. So every Saturday night, her and my dad would have date night. They'd go on a date my whole childhood. And I used to love to go into her room and watch her get ready for date night. She had this Elizabeth Arden eyeshadow palette that was like br- 
you know, had like, it was the 80s. It was like bright colors and, mm-hmm. you know, like turquoise and gold and, you know, all of that. And she would like pull out her palette and put on her eyeshadow and put on her Chanel Number no. 5 perfume. And I just remember like tr- this trailing scent of like the Chanel Number no. 5 going down the hallway. And just like, I just was like completely entranced by this. Like, I just thought, oh my gosh, how cool that you can like, you know, and, and I also love the ritual of it and just the the doing of it. So it wasn't just like how you look at the end, because for me, so much of my love about this industry is not vanity oriented. It's about the the actual process of doing these things for right, yourself right. and the way you feel when you're like going to anticipate it or when it's going to happen or when you know you're you're actually taking that moment for yourself and applying your makeup or doing your skincare ritual or getting your Botox, whatever that means for you. And so I fell in love with not like the end result of like the before and after, but the process right. and you the know, journey. My daughters often watch me put on my makeup. Yep. And because I've had so many women talk about um, that, that moment or those moments where they watch their own mother do it, yep. I am always thinking in my head, like, what are they thinking? How is this shaping them right now? But it's like really a powerful thing. It seems like not such a big deal, but it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. When you think of the things you remember about your childhood, it's like, that was, yeah, She probably. I'm sure she when she was doing that, I was probably like annoying her, you know, sitting there staring at her asking a million questions right but it was like a moment i never forgot right well i'm sorry to hear that you lost your mom at a very young age thank you tell us what happened um she got sick uh at my college sort of around the time of my college graduation and fought a really valiant uh battle against cancer a really rare form of cancer and passed away when i was 25 so the early part of my 20s were really you know obviously the rest of my life as well but the early part of my 20s were kind of that was what was going on for me and so I was sort of trying to figure out my career path and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and you know dealing with this sort of large you know huge thing in life that you know sort of takes up all your emotional energy and bandwidth and so I think you know I was probably a little bit later to um to do things in life because you know this was this was something that was kind of the main thing in my life for my early 20s. Was there any incredible like lessons that you learned from her or anything you take forward that you feel like you apply every day in business? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that everything about our lives that gets us to this point, you know, shapes us, right? And I think for me, this was the probably the single most shaping thing that's happened to me and I think to my family. And I think you just, for me, it's like you learn what's important in life and you learn that also like life is really short and precious. And like, if you want to do something, go out and do it. Like you really don't know what tomorrow will be. And you just, I think there's literally no reason not to like chase your dreams and follow your dreams and try to do everything you can in your life. And you know, whatever makes you happy and whatever kind of fulfills you, like do that. Don't waste time. All right. So I'm going to fast forward a few years. So at the age of 27, you got to create your own cosmetic line from scratch. How did that come about? So that was a cool opportunity and kind of one of those moments where someone, again, kind of saw something in me and and decided to sort of, you know, take a chance on me. And I think, you know, I'd, I'd, so I'd, by that point, I'd kind of established myself in the cosmetics and skincare world. I'd worked for big brands, small brands. I'd done things for MAC Cosmetics, Benefit Cosmetics. I piloted a beauty stylist, like a personal shopper program for Nordstrom. And through that role met sort of all of the, kind of all the creators of all the lines that Nordstrom carried. And that situation was basically someone who had uh, a company that had been, you know, traditionally kind of made their stake in like mass market cosmetics. So when you would go into CVS and find like 99 cent eyeshadow kit, that was kind of his his world. And he wanted to make, he wanted to make his foray into luxury cosmetics. Mm-hmm. And so 
he basically acquired the license from Calvin Klein to launch a cosmetic line under the Calvin Klein name. And he recruited and hired two veterans from Lottercorp and myself to basically create this line from scratch. And so it was a really amazing opportunity and probably one of the one of the turning points for me that kind of solidified that I ultimately wanted to do my own thing because really I got to create a line. I did everything from naming the eyeshadows to testing the nice. formulas on my hand in the R&D lab to writing the training education, meeting with the retailers. It was literally like like I was starting my own line, but not on my own dime. Love it. So it really was a shaping experience. So from there you shifted and you went into medical aesthetics. Explain to people listening what medical aesthetics are. So um, medical aesthetics are basically cosmetic medical treatments. So anything non-surgical that has to do with cosmetic effects. So improving or enhancing or amplifying. So things like uh, I mean, things that would be under the aesthetics, late medical aesthetics label would be lasers, um, any type of skin tightening, radio frequency, mm-hmm. ultrasound, all things that have all the technologies that are you know rooted in cosmetic improvements. Also, injectables, so Botox, fillers, you know, medical grade skincare as well. So basically, that's kind of what in, I would say encompasses medical aesthetics, anything non-surgical. So you learned a lot there, obviously, for what you're doing today. I sure did. Yeah, I made the jump. I mean, you know, when I when I stepped into that um, industry, I I really viewed it like truly as an extension of the beauty industry. I thought, well, people are doing these treatments to look and feel their best the same way that they're going to Bloomingdale's and buying a moisturizer and an eye cream and a skincare product. And it's it's just a different scale. So I was very aware, kind of stepping into that, that I was that I was going to need to learn the medical piece of it. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I felt like the, the heart of it was the same. That right. people were doing these things to look and feel their best. And so to me, it was very much a part of the beauty industry. And I was really like at a point where I wanted to kind of expand my like expertise I really wanted to to sort of have full understanding and expertise around the just around all the all the pursuits of beauty so you became a business development manager at Allergan correct they obviously own Botox right so obviously lots of learnings from there and your territory was Beverly Hills 90210 (laughs) which is again the capital ground zero ground zero exactly (laughs) so sales must have been like through the roof Sales were through the roof. Quotas were through the roof. It was, at that time, the largest volume territory in the country for Botox and fillers. That was in 2009. Maybe in the world. Right? <laughs> Who knows? I, yeah, I, I, you're probably right. You're probably right. And so that was 2009. I'm not sure, you know, if still to date that is the case. But it definitely is where, you know, the sort of cosmetic use of Botox really originated. Um, prior to that, Botox has actually been around since 1978. Wow. And it's been used in human beings for a variety of therapeutic purposes. So everything from cerebral palsy children with cerebral palsy anytime that there's like spastic muscle Botox actually relaxes muscle so it was actually yeah it was initially discovered and used for non-cosmetic purposes and one of the big areas that it was used for was the eye area Mm -hmm. Um, so people that had an it's called uh, blepharospasm it's like an excessive blinking disorder Um, and then something called strabismus which is a type a form of a lazy eye they would inject it into the muscles around the eye in order to correct it to correct it and what they started to notice no surprise is that all of a sudden all the wrinkles were going away in that area too. So they, they thought, hmm, maybe there's an option, opportunity here. So you mentioned when you worked there, though, it all seemed so clinical. And so you saw kind of a, you had a spark, you had an idea at that moment, like I need to figure out how to 
you know, shift people's perceptions of what this is and what it does for you. Yeah, absolutely. It was very clear to me. So, you know, I I went into the job and went into the industry thinking that it was an extension of the beauty industry and that all of my knowledge about creating an experience for the customer, you know, in the same way that when a customer walks up to your, you know, your counter at, you know, the department store, they sit in your chair and you apply a new lipstick to them or you're showing them a new eyebrow product or a moisturizer. You're talking to them about the things that, you know, they're looking for in a product. You're talking to them you're telling a story about the ingredients or perhaps the origin of the company you're working for. And it's a whole experience. And and I thought all of that sort of innate knowledge about what it's, you know, how you kind of, how you engage with a customer in right. the beauty industry would apply in this world. And as soon as I started doing the job and I was basically calling on all the plastic surgeons and dermatologists and aesthetic doctors in Beverly Hills, as soon as I started doing the job, I realized that outside of the fact that you look prettier after a Botox treatment, arguably, there was nothing about the experience of getting Botox right. that remotely reflected the experience of going and purchasing a new moisturizer yeah. or going, you know, there was just none of that. It felt much more, to your point, like clinical. It felt like you were going to have a skin check or you were going to get your acne treated. And sometimes a little scary. Very scary. Yeah, very scary. I think scary in the sense that, you know, there there's a lot of misinformation about that, about these treatments and services. And in truth, no one's kind of gotten on a platform to really explain to the consumer what is true, what isn't true. And so people have been left to their own devices and they, you know, they hear what they hear something through a friend and then it gets, you know, how operator works. And so I think there's been a lot. I I always say this industry is shrouded in mystery. Yeah, it just is. And, And so we are, you know, here and really what I feel is our mission as a company is to really just just correct that and just make sure people have the right information right. like you know whatever choice they make about treatment get all the information and, right. and get the right information so you're you're kind of doing for this industry what i call the uber effect like you've taken like the taxi yep. and made it into an uber yep um but for injectables yep. and i know you were inspired by drybar yep um who we recently had Brittany driscoll on oh, okay. who um just started squeeze right and she was amazing she used to work at drybar yep um but she's also taken some Something, you know, it's like taking something that people are already doing and figuring out how to kind of modernize it and do it in a way that makes sense to, you know, today's generation or the way that it works with technology that we have today. And so it seems like you're doing the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that today's consumer is a really interesting one. I think that, um, there is, you know, a lot more savvy. People do a lot more research before trying out something new. Um, and I would argue with something like injectables, probably even more so because it's such a trust base. And to your point, there's a, a fear factor. Um, you know, if you don't like your hair, you can go home and wash it. If you don't like your blowout, if you don't like your makeup, you can go home and wash it off. If you don't like your Botox, you're stuck with it for three months. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you know, there's a lot more trust to it. There's a, it's, a, it's a lot higher priced of an item or a service. So I think because of that, you know, people are really doing their research and doing their homework. And what I was really inspired by is the idea that you could take something that was part of a large, you know, before prior to or, you know, before this this started, the idea is that, you know, it's it was part of a larger experience. So it was, you know, in the case of dry bar, it was part of getting your hair cut and colored. You would get a blow dry at the end and you would leave looking fabulous. In our world, it would be like, you know, you go to your dermatologist for your a, a myriad of things, right? Your annual skin check, maybe, you know, other, issue, you know, skin cancer biopsies, anything like that. And by the way, while you're here, why don't you also get your Botox and take care of these other things and basically extrapolating that out of the experience and creating a category around just that one thing. Nice. 
So you made a, a bold move um, early on, and you were able to get the founder of Nix Cosmetics, uh, Tony Co, to invest. Tell yep. us that story. Uh, you know, again, I was I, I had never done this before. I really didn't know where to start. I was, you know, I knew that I needed to raise capital in order to make this idea happen. I don't come from a wealthy family. I was not funded by, you know, any any family money whatsoever. I invested everything I personally have into the business, and I was very aware that because I was going to be opening stores, um, there was a high expense. To doing that, and so I could, I needed to raise capital to do that. Um, having never raised capital before, I was really kind of like not knowing where to start or how to how to get that process going. And one night, I went to a um, a female founder kind of interview in Santa Monica with a friend of mine, and Tony Co was the person being interviewed. And I was just really inspired by her story. She started Nix Cosmetics, you know, as a you know a teenager basically. She drove her Honda Civic around the city and dropped off you know dropped off products at all the local beauty supplies. And you know, 15 years later, sold the company. Company to L'Oreal for five hundred million dollars, and that story. It, yeah, I mean she's she's incredibly just. I mean she just the way that she talked and described kind of her experience. It was there was so much grit and so much determination. Like she was not given anything. She made the entire thing happen by herself, right. and I was so inspired by that because I was like, oh, so you can do that. Like that can work. And but at that time she had sold the company um, about I think maybe six or eight months prior, and so she had talked about how she was going to be doing some investing and that she'd signed a non compete that she couldn't start another company for a certain amount of time in that industry. And so, you know, I heard her say that she was doing some investing and I thought, well, this could be, you know, maybe this could be my investor. And I didn't know her. I didn't have any connection to her. So had you had the company yet? So I was, I was basically, I spent about a year on the medical regulatory piece. Got and it. so I had set up the company. I was working with a healthcare attorney here in Los Angeles uh-huh. and basically like the very early stages, uh-huh. right? And during that process, the LA Business Journal, they were looking for new ideas in healthcare and he had pitched me. And so there was this article about me and my idea in the LA Business Journal. And so basically I went home that night. I talked to my brother who was in business school in France at the time. And he said, you can actually reach out to this woman on LinkedIn and send and, and, you know, connect with her that way. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know you could reach out to people you didn't know on LinkedIn. So I sent her an email with that article from the LA Business Journal. And I just said, hi, I saw you speak at this event. I was really inspired by you. Would you be willing to meet with me? Wow. And that's brave. It it was brave. But also I did not expect a response. I mean, I felt like it was like, it was brave, but also in no world that I think she'd reply. Yeah, I thought it would be like another spam email. Anyway, she wrote me back, I think the next day and said, I'd love to meet with you. And we met for breakfast at the SLS hotel a week later. And by the end of breakfast, she was like, I'm in, how much do we need to get this started? Oh my gosh. So I love that. That is totally how it all happened. That's that's so interesting because there's a lot of people who won't reach out because they're like, oh, she's never going to read my email. She's never going to respond. And they let that prevent them. And it just goes to show that it pays. Totally. I mean, honestly, if I hadn't sent that email, we wouldn't be sitting here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's the saying? If you don't ask, the answer will always be no. 100%. So this this is a perfect uh, point. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to move on to a snag. You mentioned that you got some bad financial advice in the beginning where you ran out of money. What was the advice and what did you do to turn it around? So yeah, so basically that was a situation where, you know, going into this, I, I definitely had maturity. I'd worked, you know, lots of, I'd worked many, many jobs and I'd had, you know, full careers in the past prior to starting my own company. And so 
I would say I was very aware of my strengths and weaknesses and finance and financial modeling is not one of my areas of expertise. And frankly, it's quite a blind spot for me. So, you know, it's just something that I, I was very daunted by when I thought about starting a business, everything else about it. I was like, I got this, I can do this. But that aspect of things, I just felt very kind of like, oh, I, you know, I don't know where to start with that. I was introduced and connected to somebody who had the resume and had the experience to kind of give that information to me. I think where I went wrong and what I learned from it was I just sort of, when I saw that that person had the, the qualifications for you know doing something that I did not know how to do, I was like, great, I have this part covered. I'm going to let this person do what they do so that I can do what I do. And I didn't ask any questions. I never raised my hand and said, well, why are we doing it this way? Or please explain this to me or walk me through X, Y, and Z. I just thought, he knows what he's doing. I'm just gonna not going to question it because I, that's not my area of expertise. And um, as a result, um, you know, basically, like we didn't raise enough capital in the beginning. We could have raised more, like people would have written larger checks, but we didn't want to dilute the small valuation that we had. Um, and so, you know, we raised what I was kind of told was just enough to kind of get us up and running, but it turned out it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so I remember like literally month two, I was like, we're about to run out of money. Like, you know, I mean, we haven't even started yet and we're, you know, like, what are we going to do? I remember calling my credit card companies and saying, can I put payroll on my personal credit card? Like, you know, you have those can dark you? moments. You can. Oh, you can. Good to know. <laughs> yes. If you ever needed to, you can. Wow. And and it turned out, you know, what, what that person did was probably just apply a, a broad general template to this business model that maybe applied to other businesses like but it, not but yours. nothing like yeah. yours. Exactly. You know, this really kind of strikes a chord with me just because I'm also, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a business person, but stronger kind of on the ideas and creative side, mm -hmm. running an advertising agency. Sure. And, you know, the financial part has never been my strong suit. And so, you know, I've also been in that position where I've put people in charge and been like, okay, I'll do my thing, you do your yep. thing. But as a business owner, you have to do a little bit of everything. You do. And it's your job to understand it mm -hmm. and make sure that your gut and your core feels like it makes sense. Right. Even if you're not really strong at it, because it's yours and you're invested in a different way, you'll know if that person's making the right decisions. And it's so important to make sure that every single person um, explains their part to you. Totally. And, and the thing is, I think that's really, the onus was on me. When I think about it now, even the way that I interact with finance people that I work with, it, it was I was asking not the right questions and different questions because I didn't want to seem like I was questioning their expertise. But really, no one knows your business like you do. And you know, if you would have asked me, is it going to take a few months for the first store? You know, in the middle of Beverly Hills, where people are very comfortable and knowledgeable about these treatments more than anywhere else in the country. Now I'm coming in with this brand new idea. It's going to take a few months for right. people to. And I feel like that wasn't factored in because I didn't. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't the person telling that story. And even now, I remember when like investors would ask me questions, I wouldn't even know how to answer them. And I would I would just get the answer from him and then tell them. Right. So it's like I didn't now when 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 that happens and I have to go to my finance person and be like they're asking this, explain to me. Like yeah. now it's like analyze it and 100%. really make sure you're on board with it. Yeah, like I can speak to it actually. I'm not just like regurgitating the answer. And so I, I, I mean, here's the thing. It was a tough moment for me and it definitely caused the first year of the business to be like probably way more stressful than it needed to be. I don't think I slept that first year at all. Mm -hmm. It was incredibly stressful. There was moments where I was like, I don't think we're going to get through this first year. I mean, you go through all of that. And honestly, it was the best lesson I could have learned because now I will never not ask questions again. I will mm -hmm. never not raise my hand and go, I need this explained to me. This is just not sitting right with me. I, you know, it, it taught me the most, probably the most important lesson. Yeah. The snags really help 
get you to success. I feel like if you don't mess up, you never know how to do it right. Totally. Such an important part of the journey. So true. Okay, so you've obviously made it through that snag, and now the company is thriving and growing. And so how many stores do you have right now? So we have four stores now. Mm -hmm. We have three in LA and one in New York. We opened New York earlier this year. That's um, awesome. In April, yeah. It's and brave it's, also to open in a market that you're not in. Totally, and terrifying, because I've never lived in New York. I haven't, I've not spent an abundance of time there. So the last year has really been a schooling for me and learning, just learning the East Coast since we opened the store, learning the New York customer, right. different than LA for sure. And so what are your goals? How many stores do you want to open in the next couple of years? So, I mean, we really do want to own the category of injectables. Um, we want to be the place that people think of when they yeah. think of getting these services done. Um, we have really big goals around how we want to grow, where we want to grow. And by the way, that's not to say that we don't welcome and invite other people doing this as well. Like I think truly I believe that this entire industry needs to be kind of uh, evolved and you know I think about Botox was FDA approved for cosmetic use in I think the year 2000 and the way that it's consumed has been exactly the same for the whole 18 years that it's 19 Mm -hmm. years it's been around if you think of the way we consume beauty like cosmetic beauty since 2000 to now it's completely unrecognizable it's changed so much there wasn't Sephora there wasn't you know, beauty subscription services. There wasn't YouTube bloggers telling us how to contour our faces. It's completely different. And I really believe that injectable cosmetic injectables need to be brought to the modern day. So I think that this industry in, in, in and of itself is changing. I do believe that we're the category creator for this. And um, I wanted, I, I feel like there's a lot of responsibility with that to the customer and to the mm-hmm. world. And so we want to be everywhere. We want to be in every major metro area where beauty services and services are being consumed. So Awesome. Big yeah. goals. I like Big it. Big goals, for sure. So a large part of your business is Botox and other anti-aging products. And there, there has been some recent backlash around you know, the anti-aging rhetoric. So how do you deal with that? Just because, so, um, you know, it's obviously something that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's top of mind. Um, I actually don't like that word. Um, I I think that, uh, you know, I know that that's been a popular thing to say recently, but why I feel like it's like, it's just a misleading word to me that doesn't really mean anything. I mean, we are all aging. Aging is completely unavoidable. That's a natural thing that happens in life. It's kind of like, you know, there's no, there's no way to not age. Um, but I think it's about doing it in a way that is, you know, feels good for you and is just authentic to you. And, you know, I, I will say that um, certainly there is a preventative benefit to, you know, to getting injectables. There's also a, you know, um, I guess you could call it an, an age-defying, you know, benefit as well. But it also, you know, it's about, it's about what makes you feel good. And I think it's about feeling, I really, you know, I say this from the bottom of my heart, we are about empowerment. Mm-hmm. We are about feeling good about making these decisions for yourself and not being ashamed about doing something that makes you look and feel your best. And if that means Botox for you, great. Yeah. If it doesn't, great. You know, find that thing for you, whatever that is. It could mean taking a yoga class. It could mean you, you know, buying a new skincare regimen or getting your face, you know, getting a regular facial. I mean, there's so many things I yeah. think. That, I love that you're doing it through the lens of what it means to the person doing it versus to like how you're going to look to everybody else, right. which is kind of the right way to do this because i mean listen let's face it aging sucks yeah i'm just gonna say it yeah you know we all want to look 22 for the Mm -hmm. rest of our Mm -hmm. lives um it doesn't happen and so you know if there's a way to kind of 
you know, just feel a little bit better about yourself, why not? Exactly. And I mean, there is also, I think, you know, in, in what we're doing and the way that we're doing doing it as well is also there's a enhancing and amplification aspect to this. So when you come in to see us, we're not talking to you about what your problem areas are or areas that you need to improve or fix. We're not about that because we truly believe and like I truly believe there, everybody is beautiful in their own way, and we are not about changing the way that you look. Right. We are not about changing that. We're about taking what you already have and making it look great. And if for that, if for you that means you know some fine lines around your forehead, or if for you that means you know making your lips a bit fuller, like yeah. whatever that is for you. But I will say we are extremely committed and feel extremely responsible to the natural having a natural result. And we, you know, our tagline is the best work goes unnoticed. Mm -hmm. And that's, we take that to heart. Oh, I like that tagline. That's your tagline? Yeah. That's great. So you you bring that up. I have kind of a personal question I want to ask you. So I have a friend um, who is overdoing it, Mm -hmm. like really overdoing it. And I went to lunch with her a few weeks back. And it was difficult for me to even sit and look at her and I struggled the entire meal with, okay, this is a good friend of mine. Do I tell her? Mm. Do I not tell her? Like, what What am I supposed to do in that situation? Do you tell your friend she's overdoing it? I mean, it, she's, you know, she's starting to look strange. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I so appreciate because I have so many friends that do it beautifully. Sure. And it's absolutely attainable. But for her, it's become like a weird addiction. What's your advice there? It's a tough one, and we we encounter that too. We have clients that will come in who are you know their lips are are fully enhanced and fully amplified, and there's there's no reason to add additional product, and yet for whatever reason they want more. And you turn them away. Yeah, we say that we, you know we say this. Let's be the brand that goes there. Um, your you. face is our business card, and if we feel like it's not going to serve your ultimate goal of looking like your best self, we don't want to we don't want to go there with you. It's a hard thing because. There is, there is, there can be a loss of perspective that happens. So, like in the case of your friend, I mean, you know, first of all, I think you know dysmorphia is a real thing. I mean, I think the woman who I'm referencing that comes in that wants to get her lips done, you know, and they're already fully, you know, fully done, she doesn't see that. She looks in the mirror and she sees an opportunity to put more. And I think there's a certain degree of dysmorphia that happens with that. With with in the case of your friend, the advice that I would give would be like, what else is going on with her in her mm-hmm. life? Because number one, here's the other part of it: if she came to sit at lunch with you and she seemed and felt like she looked her best like she felt like that was how she wanted to look and she was rocking it like like good for her do you know what i'm saying like point actually i didn't think of it from that perspective no it's true i mean it's like if she wants to look like that and she has and she's like i know i look a little overdone but i'm into it i love whatever you know whatever it feels good for her but if she's doing it to chase some unattainable goal or trying to change herself and you know then i think it's more that conversation right it's like, like like there's a d- deeper root what's here. going on yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good point so because i do think that there's that i also think that there is a tremendous responsibility on the providers to say to somebody no no yeah so anti-aging is traditionally something or thought of as you know only wealthy people can afford because mm-hmm. it's expensive are you trying to make it more accessible to people we definitely are and i think that they're you know among the misinformation out there about these services is that it is you know only for the rich or that it's extremely expensive i mean in truth being on a regular botox regimen botox is a quarterly service it's about 100 bucks a month mm. is what it is and so you know that's not a crazy amount i think again 
I understand why people have the misconception that it's too expensive or unaffordable because there isn't a lot of good information out there. And unfortunately, Botox, because it is sort of a customized treatment, the amount that you would need would be different than the amount that you would need, that I would need. You know, there isn't sort of usually a set price for it. So people kind of, you know, just assume that it's really expensive, but it's actually like $100 a month. And so we are trying to do that. We have a membership program that really does that. It's a subscription model that's That's 99 bucks a month, and then that pretty much covers you. So let's talk about age. Yeah. Um, so obviously you're seeing people come in younger and younger. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of freaks me out. Um, I have a sister that's, I think, 20 years younger than me. Uh-huh. And she, um, you know, she's like, I'm thinking of doing Botox. And I'm like, no, you don't have any wrinkles yet. Like, don't go there. Mm-hmm. And she's like, but it's preventative. And so I just want to hear your perspective. Like, for me, it's different. Like, I'm in my 40s and I have visible signs of aging. So, you know, anything I can do to kind of turn the clock back is exciting to me. Mm-hmm. But for her who doesn't have anything showing yet, what do you do? So I think that, I mean, I hear what you're saying. And I think that if the first thing I'll say is that the reason to get Botox is not always anti-aging. So sometimes there's genetic reasons why you have, you know, you develop wrinkles or creasing in your face earlier on in life. Also, it does have a skin smoothing effect. Mm-hmm. And so, and it does have an eye opening effect. And so you know, I think what you're saying kind of presumes that the only person, the only type of person that would go and get a Botox treatment would be someone who's trying to get rid of lines and wrinkles. It's not always the case. And that's, I think, what's just where my head is. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, and I understand. Um, and and what, what I'll say about the preventative piece is that it's actually real. So this is the way I like to describe it to people. I'll make it quick because I, you know, I just want to get to the point on why it matters. So basically, the way that it works is that the wrinkles that you get in your 40s and 50s um, and beyond are basically a result of repeated muscle contraction in the area over the course of time. And combined with the fact that over time, your skin gets thinner and the amount of collagen and elastin breaks down. So now you no longer have the foundation that holds up the skin that's going to, you know, not let the wrinkles, not let the skin settle into the wrinkles. So if over time you repeatedly relax the muscle and you aren't using it, you never form the wrinkle in the first place. Right. So that's really how it works. It's basically telling the muscle that's going to cause the wrinkle later in time not to move. And if it doesn't move, then you don't get the wrinkle. Right. And I feel that it served me really, really well. I also think there's real benefit in getting these things done earlier because you never go through that evolutionary period. Like right now, if your sister went and got it done, she would never go through that period where she felt wrinkly. Like she would mm-hmm. just always look. It's, mm-hmm. it's, so you're, you're you're not necessarily setting the clock back. I don't like to say that. But you're basically, you're setting, you're not kind of setting down that path in the first place. Right. And so there really is a benefit um, on the preventative side. And truthfully, if somebody comes to us with what we call static uh, wrinkles, which means that when you're not making a face, they're there. Uh-huh it's much harder to get rid of and it takes oh, a lot longer. Yeah. So you wouldn't see a, you would see some benefit after one service, but you'd probably need to come multiple times to start to really see those lines addressed. I'm always pleasantly surprised though, even for me who uh-huh. has lines on my forehead, when I do Botox, it, they decrease tremendously. Yeah. Like it really works. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Is totally. there a sweet spot in terms of age of, of when most yeah. people When should, should people start? start? Yeah. I think I, I would say it's different for everybody. I would not, I wouldn't commit to like a specific number that works. Like I, 27, 28 served me really well um it just it was just a good time for me to start and i feel like it was um i saw benefits from doing it immediately i saw that skin smoothing thing happen my eyes were more you know wide open and those kinds of things so i mean i think like late 20s is is when we're seeing a lot of people come to us for the first time and ready to start that first treatment but we have also have people that start in their 30s and 40s and that's fine for them as well do you have 18 year olds come in 
very few and far between. It's it's definitely something that we won't do under 18. Okay. Um, and, you know, we'll definitely have the conversation about whether or not it makes sense. Usually when they come at 18, they're not there for Botox. Usually it's filler. So how do we know the effects that Botox is going to have years from now, since we're really kind of a, all, including myself, a generation that's like trying this out? Mm-hmm. So Botox is one of the most studied drugs in the world. For, it is? Yes, for oh. a number of therapeutic purposes. So like I said, I mean, it has indications, FDA approved indications for overactive bladder, migraine headaches, all sorts of like spastic muscle um, conditions. And so it was injected, I mean, it's been injected in human beings since 1978. So it's been around for 40 years. It's only been used cosmetically for 20. And when we talk about cosmetic use, you're actually using a fraction of the amount that you would use in like therapeutic purposes. So when they, you know, generally speaking, when they're using it for like cerebral palsy, they're using thousands of units. Wow. And with Botox, you never generally never use more than 100 units. So just to give you a sense, there's, it's very, it's it's one of the most studied drugs in the world. And it's extremely, we're using extremely small doses when we use it for cosmetics. That's comfor- comforting to know that it's been, you know, used before this. Yep. And it seems like there's not some giant. Long-term, yeah. Nope. Okay, good. It's actually metabolized out of the body within 24 hours. It is? Mm-hmm. Ew. Yeah. Look at you breaking all the exactly. misconceptions. <laughs> I like it. Mm-hmm. I find it like an interesting topic that, you know, people do have this sort of like other other beauty things are okay, but like this is more like stigmatized. And it's I'm definitely going through a destigmatization phase. But if you think about all beauty services, they all they all go through this, right? So like I always use the example of like bikini waxing in the 70s. And but it was like only a certain type of woman did that. Like only a very slutty woman, you know, would go and get her bikini waxed, right? right? And then all of a sudden um, it became more common, but you and you would do it, but you would never tell anyone because God forbid you don't want to be associated with that type of woman that does that. And then before long, like now fast forward to now, it's like everyone does it and have you tried laser and where do you go? You know, it's become so accepted. And I feel like that's kind of the evolution that a lot of these beauty services go through. Um, It's like at first it's kind of like frowned upon and then it's sort of like hidden. And then it's sort of like, okay, it's all out there now. Let's all do it. You know, so I think that injectables are getting to that point now where and you, you find that like the younger generation, I mean, we even see it with our customers, like our younger customers are happy to take to Instagram and be like, oh my God, I just got my Botox today. It's feeling oh, yeah. great. And then like you have a woman over 35 who's like never going to tell a soul, oh, God funny. forbid, that she would ever like discuss it with <laughs> anyone, you know? And it's like, yeah, it really is a different perspective. So I just think that's always a, a f- interesting topic, but. Awesome. So are injectables poison? So no, that's a great question. And I'm so glad you asked. Um, no, they are not. So so in the same way that mold and penicillin come from the same parent ingredient, Botox and botulism come from the same parent ingredient. It's a totally different strain that's treated a totally different way. So basically when you inject mold into your, or when you inject penicillin into your body to save your life, you're not injecting mold. Mm-hmm. When you inject bo- Botox into your face, you're not injecting botulism. It's a strain. Wow, you are really making this <laughs> hard to say no That's to. Scary. <laughs> I promise it's true. Yeah, so what are some other myths and misconceptions about injectables and Botox? So I would say the biggest ones are the fact that it's a poison. You're getting a poison injected to your face. Um, 
Also, the you know people ask about the long-term you know effects of it, that it stays in your body for four months. It doesn't. And then there's also I think when you know when someone's had Botox done, you can tell. In my opinion, that's when someone's had bad Botox done. You can tell. So um, I would say you walk into a room of 20 women and 19 have had great Botox and fillers, and one looks overdone, so to speak, and you go, oh, see, that's bad Botox. You don't notice the other 19 because they right. look great. Right. Um, and so I think that you know it's sort of like the summation of that is like Botox freezes your face um you're not you're not you're not able to make expressions when you have botox um when you get filler you get like these crazy huge duck lips very often filler in your lips actually doesn't make them fuller like there's lots of reasons to fill your lips that have nothing to do with making them larger sometimes you just want to smooth them out sometimes you want to better define them so there's basically lots of reasons to do these treatments that are not um maybe what you would think do you have to be a nurse to administer botox yes um you have to be a licensed medical professional and registered nurses nurse practitioners and physicians assistants are all able to inject Botox and fillers. Are you personally licensed or do I'm you not. just kind of oversee the business? I aspect? just oversee. Yeah, exactly. Okay. There's moments when I've like, you know, wondered whether I should go to nursing school and learn it. But I think that probably that wouldn't be the best thing for the business. I think I'll leave it to the professionals. I feel very comfortable with it. I know the data and the science and all of that stuff really well from having been a Botox rep. But yes, no, I'm not an injector myself. And besides injectables, what else do you guys do? So we um, we classify everything we do as micro treatments, and so that includes injectable uh, cosmetic injectables like Botox and Dysport as well as um, hyaluronic acid fillers. So uh, Juvederm, Restylane, we stay with the HA fillers. We don't currently offer Sculpture, Radius, any of the more permanent ones. Uh-huh. And then we do Radically Radiant, which is microneedling, which I love. It's oh. an amazing, amazing treatment. And then we just introduced Power Peels as well. So Ooh. basically the idea is like- What's our, a Power Peel? They're basically just like medical peels, but they have very little downtime. So essentially, like if you have an event you're going to, or you know, just overall you want to do some exfoliation, it's just a nice a quick in and out Service that you can do. How much downtime? So the the reg, the entry level one, the sort of like beginning one, you don't have any downtime. Oh, nice. So you never. So basically, it's all microscopic peeling. So mm. the next day you feel a little like sandpapery, mm-hmm. but you don't look weird. Oh, good. Um, and then over the next couple of days, you're um, regenerating. So essentially, the idea is that. Everything we do is medically effective, minimally invasive, so little to no downtime, and then ritualistic in nature. So you have to keep doing everything we do, you keep doing, which is why membership is like makes sense for us. So basically, it's injectables, which is our core competency, our core focus. We mm-hmm. do um, a treatment called Radically Radiant, which is microneedling. We do power peels, and we do vitamin shots. Okay. So what are your thoughts on the Instagram face? And, you know, everyone's trying to look like Kylie Jenner these days. And do you feel like people are starting to look the same when they do overdo it? I mean, I think if you think about it, it's like Instagram is the current platform for that. But I think in all all throughout time, it's existed that people are you know aspiring to a certain person for the face of beauty. Um, you know, I to me, what I have a problem with is trying to look like someone else. It's like you know you can you can sort of admire the way someone's hair looks or the way that their skin looks and want to use products that you're that will you know help to improve your skin. But I think where we run into issues and problems is when people actually try to transform themselves into something. Somebody else. Do people walk in and say, look, make me look like Kim Kardashian? Does it, that happen? It does happen. Maybe not as overtly as that, but they will certainly like say, you know, they'll come in with, you know, very thin, very small lips and show us a picture of Kylie Jenner at her peak and say, I want these lips. Oh boy. And, you know, we have to have a conversation. We have this cool 3D technology where we show them like Ooh. what they would look like if they had that. And usually that talks them off the cliff because they're like, Ooh. Really? So we actually use so that. So I can actually see, visualize what Correct. it's going to look like before I get it done. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So that helps to um, not only 
like educate you, but also if you have this kind of crazy idea about wanting to look, you know, have Kylie Jenner lips and that would be, once you see that, you kind of change your mind. How do you avoid getting addicted to doing too much? I think it's just keeping a real perspective about it and, and, and honestly doing work that is really natural and doesn't fundamentally change what you look like. Um, I think, and, and having a place, a trusted place that you go to that is going to sort of not misguide you down that path because sometimes we do lose perspective and we have to rely on the people around us to say, you know what, you're good there. Right. You're good there. So so this is an interesting question that um, comes up between me and a lot of my friends. So mm-hmm. I'm Gen X. Mm-hmm. Did we kind of miss the boat? Meaning like every one of the younger generation is going to stay young forever and we're like screwed and we're just going to keep aging? I don't think so because you know the other thing that's happening is cons- companies are very aware of this. People are living much longer than they mm-hmm. ever did and, and, and doing so healthily. And so, you know, with that, those people are going to want to look and feel their best too. And so their technologies are being developed for that age group. Oh, good. Yeah. Love to hear that. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to move on to kind of the success part of this. How do you define success personally? You know, it's a hard thing. I think it's a word that any, probably any founder grapples with at times because, you know, people will see me that haven't seen me in a while and are like, oh my God, you're killing it. It's amazing. And I'll feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the biggest failure in the world today. Like, don't, you know, what are you even saying this to me for? And so it's really hard to kind of keep that perspective when you're so deep into something and you have, I mean, just as we all do, the high highs and the low lows, the good days and the bad days. But to me, I think it's about, you know, empowering the people around me, um, maintaining great relationships. You know, I, I sort of chuckle at the word balance because it's just not something I have in my life right now, but still being able to maintain the relationships in my life that are important to me while pursuing my dream and making an impact. For me, it's making an impact on the world and like leaving a legacy. I think that's success. Beautiful. Well, I have to tell you, a lot of um, a lot of businesses and female entrepreneurs reach out because they'd like to be on She Dynasty, and it's awesome because you know we have to sit down and kind of yeah. decide, you know, what's a good fit for the show. And you know, when we came across your story, it was just something that you know we all kind of believed in the way you were doing it, your approach to how you were doing Thank it. Um, so, you know, really, really excited to watch you grow and your success. And thank you for, you know, making this process so much easier for people to understand and, you know, making it approachable. I think that's so, so important. So we're going to move into our rapid fire questions. I think actually, Caroline, you should do them. Okay. What is your biggest strength and your biggest weakness? Biggest strength is as a visionary and biggest weakness is time management. I love that. Do you have any actionable advice for people listening? Honestly, just do it. I know it sounds as cliche as it comes. Just do it. Nike. Plug for <laughs> telling you. Have you gotten any work done personally from Alchemy 43? Absolutely. I have been a customer since day one and before. Love that. <laughs> Proudly. I, I think it's a big tell if the person who started a company goes to their own Heck company. Yeah. I think that's huge. Yep. What's something everyone should know before getting injectables? They should know that it's not about transforming yourself. It's about taking what you already have and making it better. And what is your everyday beauty routine? I do an AM skincare ritual. Um, I love sitting and doing my makeup. It's like my meditation for the day. And I do a PM uh, ritual that involves oil cleansing and removing my makeup and lots of product. So on the topic of skincare, what's your holy grail skincare product that you just absolutely need? SkinCeuticals AGE Eye Complex. 
I've actually, that's funny you say that because I feel like I always hear that, especially the best like dermatologists. Why do I know what that is? Oh, it's the best eye cream. Really? I've tried everyone out there. This is literally like a game changer. Can that's you I hear that, that down, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Take note of that. <laughs> Take note of that, please. The most popular treatment that you have that we offer mm-hmm. Hello Bright Eyes, our Botox treatment. Makes yep. sense. Yep. And finally, if someone can only get one treatment from Alchemy 43, what would you recommend? Well-rounded, our cheek, our cheek enhancement service. I feel like it lifts up your whole face and looks great on everybody. That's a good answer. Thanks. Okay. Well, I think that's it. Um, Nikki, awesome. thank you so much for being a guest on She Dynasty. We're super excited to see what the future holds for you. Thank and you. very inspired by all that you've done. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. It was great.